the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Talking stock talk. Talking Stocks, talking investing. A little bit of a bullet shot into the world of individual equities. Maybe a little bit of indexing for sure, but not a lot of business news. More big picture. Jack Bogle is someone that I admire, and you have to have a list of people in the world of finance and investing that you admire. One of them for me is Jack Bogle, Warren Buffett. Uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Benioff. Um, you can, you know, create a list. You know, locally, uh, Hennessy from the Hennessy funds, um, O'Shaughnessy. Anything that he's written, I've liked. As far as, you know, baseball cards, those would be the people who I would collect. If you were to expand and go into like crazier things. Maybe there's some institutions that you like, like Barron's or the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. I don't really look to the LA Times, the San Francisco Chronicle as investment idea generators. I look at them as yesterday's business headlines. There is on occasion a nice piece about real estate in situations like along those lines that are, you know, more locally flavored, which I prefer when it comes to talking real estate, but it's funny, journalism differs like golden clay. At one point in time, it was a pretty prestigious career. Now, if you're young and you can crank out articles that get eyeballs, that's kind of important. So anyway, back to Jack Bogle. He's legendary founder of Vanguard. Time and experience have demonstrated that for most investors, low-cost indexing is the most efficient way to invest. That has always been his argument that he's championed, that time and experience... For most investors, keeping the cost low is the best efficient way to invest. Over the past five years, indexers have outperformed the vast majority of active managers. So you can open up your newspaper and take a look at the top mutual funds. Newspaper, mutual funds, I know. 
almost feels dated, right? Uh, going to a newspaper to check your mutual funds uh, is kind of funny, but it's still applicable on some levels. So over the past few years, indexers have outperformed the vast majority of active managers, causing even more investors to realize the now obvious answer to the question of how should they invest their money. And the answer for most people is indexing. The question is, can that go on forever? You know, what happens if you're in a, a market that goes sideways? Well, the market's made up of winners and losers, and if it goes sideways, you could certainly underperform by picking individual stocks, or you could outperform by picking individual stocks. Um, so it's highly doubtful that indexing will always win. Well, indexation, I think that's a word, it's efficient, it's effective, it's low cost. Um, there's never really been a good idea on Wall Street that hasn't taken, you know, to a foolish extreme. So there will be things that wildly outperform it and things that wildly underperform it. For instance, mortgage-backed securities turned out to be a very bad idea where you could buy a stock, an index of stocks of mortgages. And the banks were packaging mortgages saying, they're all great mortgages, or they're all very good mortgages, they're all good mortgages. Even though some of these packages had some below-average mortgages, they just kind of lumped them together and said, It'll probably work out. Then Wall Street did a dumb thing by coming up with triple levered exchange traded funds. So the pro shares where you get three times the performance of the NASDAQ or three times the performance of the bank index or three times the, the performance of the retail market. And when you do that, you're starting to use options and options aren't indexing. You're not buying it over time and you're not buying cheap. And that's where you got into a problem with triple-levered exchange-traded funds. Or you could use smart beta, which was another bad idea. Um, so Wall Street will take the index phenomenon and try to bastardize some products into it, sometimes incorrectly. So you're looking for the more generic flavors of like the S&P 500, you know, the Russell 2000, the Wilshire 5000, where you don't have to have a super smart, actively managed uh, portfolio manager. So let's all play our cards carefully, and we'll make some money. And that's the idea when you do a, you know, a poker game and you have friends come over. And you almost have to tell your friends, like, don't be stupid, because you know, if you go all in on every hand and you lose, you're going to be better. This is to have fun. So just as only 10% of investors can be in the top decile, so inevitably, the continuing rise in passive investment will create winners and losers. Greed and fear will come in. So a major determinant of investment performance over time is cost. It's the one thing you can control. If you're starting at age 30, you're 10 years behind. If you're starting at age 20, you're perfect. Um, now, if you start at age 40, you're probably going to do it till the day you die. So you can control cost, though, at age 20, 30, 40, 50. Passive investing has always been a, a, a benefit to a lot of investors. It's widely understood that index investing should reduce three major costs. The management fees, because it's just an index um, that very rarely changes. So the management fees that you have to pay someone to be super smart um, goes way down to basis points. The cost, is, the cost of managing the individual companies that make up the portfolios, i.e. research. Um, and then the taxes and uh, also with the individual companies to buy and selling. 
So compensation of corporate managers is another cost. Substantial but less publicized. It's borne by shareholders. Institutional investors have been reluctant to speak about some of the excessive, excessive uh, executive pay for fear of losing access to the management of those companies whose stocks they own. Um, so that's worthy of note that, you know, the compensation of corporate managers. So if you've ever been to like an Oppenheimer um, or a T. Rowe Price, their headquarters are gorgeous. They're unbelievable. It's like they've got mar- marble statues made out of real marble. <laughs> and you're like, why do people own statues? And then there's, oh, and you're like, I think this is by some guy named Rodan. So big index investors, you don't have to do that. They're increasingly finding themselves in a position to affect corporate governance by demanding a connection between pay and performance. It would seem obvious a lot of people that money managers have a fiduciary duty to maximize the long-term value of the shares held by their clients. They certainly have a duty to prevent corporate managements from ripping off their clients. So, and taxes are, are something we need to talk about. You know, buying and holding is an easy concept to understand because when you do a trade, you know, your tax hit 20-25%, boom, pretty fast. And then, you know, if you were only up 20-25%, 30%, 40%, 50%, whatever, you know, you're, at the end of the year, you're pulling together all your taxes. Buying and hold is an easy concept to practice and understand, but it's really hard put it into practice. Um, A very successful active value investor um, has to say things like, you know, do not show me how hard you're working by running through a bunch of trades because I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the fact that you have one super home run like an Amazon, but you've got six that have gone sideways and three that have been destroyed. So the big loser of index funds are the high cost, poor performing portfolio managers. The days of 2% management fees and 20% annual profits are out the window. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Talking stock. Stock talk, if you were. You can find me at Rob Black Show. That's Rob Black Show. Always got events coming up. If there's an event coming up that you sign up for, use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Mondays and Thursdays from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m., I'm going to be talking stocks. My radio career is littered with mostly successes, a couple failures, a couple stations that went under. Not due to me, I hope. Be quiet. <laughs> quiet in my head. Um... But the basic idea is there's successes and there's failures. And uh, I think my biggest success was on a national platform on a radio show called Stock Talk. Stock Talk with Rob Black. And I did it in the evenings from the East Coast, but it was done all across the nation. And it was 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, on the West Coast, which was drive time. And kind of got me in with the Bay Area and how smart the people were and 
how insightful. So I'm kind of honoring that by talking stocks on Mondays and Thursdays, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. And there'll be replays of it and best ofs and things along those lines through the various shows that I do and don't do. Um, some shows that I don't do are like podcasts. So you can find those out there. You can always go to apple.com or uh, their iTunes and look for Rob Black and Your Money. Rob Black and Your Money. It's, it's there. So Amazon is a company that I want to talk a little stock talk right now with. A lot of brick-and-mortar retailers saw their stock slide after the company encroached further on their turf. Not only did they do Prime Day, but they they've started announcing some partnerships with companies like Nike and companies like Sears. And this is like Friday the 13th, part one. You know, Jason Voorhees uh, drowns in Crystal Lake, and you know his mommy, years later, comes back and gets the counselors because they were all snoozing on the job and sexing it up and stuff like that. So Jason Voorhees, this Friday the 13th, in the world of retail, right? Whether you're Macy's, whether you're Sears, or the J.C. Penney's. Um, and then it's like Friday the 13th Part 2. And then it's like Friday the 13th Part 3 with Amazon. And then it's like Friday the 13th Part 4. Like Blue Apron comes public and they go, oh, we're going to do food delivery too, just like you guys do. Then it's like Friday the 13th Part 5. It's night- then it turns into Nightmare on Elm Street. Then it's Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Nightmare. So Amazon is literally killing companies. Um, and there's terror out there. So... Amazon announced that Sears, that they would sell some of Sears Kenmore appliances. And one thing that I love about Sears appliances, they typically come the next day or two, and they typically take your old appliance away. So you're not waiting two weeks for a washer. And if you've got kids, you don't wait two weeks for washers and dryers. Or if you do, you're at the laundromat, which I've often said, if you ever see me in a laundromat, I'll give you $10,000 cash as a surprise. Uh, look who's here kind of thing. Um, I've also said that about Radio Shack, and no one's ever seen me in a Radio Shack alive. Kind of like that Elvis sighting, very rare. So we've seen the movie before. We know the bad guys, that some dame in distress is going to win. But the brick-and-mortar companies like Macy's and Kohl's, they're the first victim of online shopping for a lot of people. Now, retailers who once were thought of as immune, like O'Reilly Automotive uh, and Advanced Auto Parts, uh, the Pep Boys... they're getting attacked. You can get a headlight online, and it'll come the same day. Or you can go to uh, the, the store and get it, stand in line, try to use their catalog. Like, same thing, right? So when Amazon bought Whole Foods, people are like, well, maybe we'll get a little more groceries delivered. And uh, companies like Costco are seemingly immune uh, what we're learning is a lot of people who have a Costco membership also have an Amazon Prime membership. So nothing's really Amazon proof, it, it feels. Because a couple of years ago, we, we said that some of these companies were Amazon proof, but they're turning out not to be. The outsized, outside moves in appliance retailers, um, you saw companies like Best Buy just get dumped on. And, you know, Best Buy and Home Depot and Lowe's, that's where a lot of people buy their refrigerators and the washers and dryers. It isn't that it concerns are unwarranted, um, but J.P. Morgan analyst Michael Rehal noted that Internet transactions account for about 12% to 13% of the U.S. appliance purchases. Um, and it's growing. At least 30% of the transactions in the United States um, the UK and China. So when you look at the whole, you see appliances are fairly, not small at 13%, but when you look at the the more developed countries, you're saying, whoa, 
So there's a lot of room for online appliance sales to grow. And grow they will, and Amazon will be a winner. Over time, just one to two years, it's expected the online retailer Amazon could very well become a major significant seller of appliances. Um, so everyone seems to be in the sights. Sears will continue to handle the delivery and servicing of Kenmore appliances, which, I again, I like. I, I hate saying that because I always feel that in Sears, you, you'd go in their stores and it was like a, a football field. And you're like, I just need the world's tiniest screwdriver. For whatever reason, <laughs> you've got something that, you know, maybe a clock or something that fell apart. And like, you need this, uh, the world's tiny. And you're in Sears and you're like, hello, is anyone here? And you're like, I could put everything in my pocket and walk out of the store and no one would know. And like all these thoughts go to your head. Like, I wonder if like they're all being held at gunpoint and back. And you're like, nobody would know. Um, so Amazon, being Amazon now is turning into a term, right? But you also can learn how to play with them. So like I said, Sears is starting to learn, you know, hey, we don't need those big physical stores. We just want to sell the appliances and service them. Um, and the more appliances they serve, the better price they get from their distributors and their dealers, things along those lines. Um, so Amazon doesn't mean customers are going to want, you know, a brand new brand, People kind of like the Kenmore brand, although there's some conspiracy theorists out there that say, like, you know, washers and dryers are being built cheaper because they're being built overseas, so they're breaking sooner, and it, it benefits the industry. And like, whoa, I don't know if I believe in every conspiracy theory out there, but Kenmore appliances aren't sold at Home Depot, Lowe's, or Best Buy, so the most likely victim of the Sears Amazon hookup could very well be Sears. Because sometimes you would go into a Sears store and buy a washer or dryer, and you'd go, hey, look, a hammock. Now, you have no need or no desire or no want for a hammock, but suddenly you're like, hey, look, a hammock. And you kind of buy into that. So the drops in Best Buy, Home Depot, and Lowe's, uh, when it was announced that Amazon had to deal with Sears to sell Kenmore washers and dryers, they tumbled 4%, 5%, 6%. And maybe it's a buying opportunity because, again... Some people are going to want to go out there and look at product. And again, the Kenmore product wasn't sold at those guys. Um, it's funny because whenever washer, dryer, refrigerator, dishwasher fails for me, I do go to like Consumer Reports and try to find the best one. Or I go to like the Home Depot or the Best Buy website and see who's got the highest rating or who's got the most units sold with the highest rating. And it's silly. It's really silly. Um for big drops, anytime Amazon announces a new category, you look for opportunities. And Best Buy looks like the best opportunity. While Home Depot and Lowe's have been relatively immune to the Amazon effect, Best Buy has been there numerous times. Now, I like, I like Home Depot for the long-term patient investor based on the housing market in the United States and based on what the product they have and how there's always people there, especially on weekends. Best Buy's ability to compete with Amazon has been recognized by the market. Okay. And sometimes you see them winning uh, and having a good year. Something to think about. Who are the winners and losers when you get Amazon? I'm Rob Black, talking stock. I need it so bad. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm getting ready to go on a vacation, kind of an end of summer thing. And it's funny because one of the things I kind of try to tune up before I do, try to get in a little bit better shape, you know? I think nobody wants to see my puffy white belly. Try to get, like, the, you know, the finances in order to make sure that I have a budget that I don't super over-exceed. But the credit card perks that I want to pack for my trip are also pretty important um, in my head. And I hope in your head. I have the Chase Sapphire Preferred Card. And it gives awesome, you know, double or triple points, depending on if you're using the expensive one that's 450 bucks, but they give you $300 of credit, travel credit a year. It's, so it's 150 and they're giving you triple points. And they also give you 20 to 30% off a car rental. And you're like, whoa, that's nice. Um, so you have to read the fine print because sometimes you don't even notice it's there. Like, oh, I just thought I was getting triple points for restaurants and for travel. A lot of people just see what they want to see. Oh, I just thought I was getting 50,000, 100,000 sign-up bonus points. Um, but you also look for, like, the cash back, you know, perfect. Um, sometimes you can get, you know, maybe a Discover card that's, you know, better for a Disney trip than a Chase Sapphire card that's better for a Hawaii trip. So you have to kind of see what's out there and what sort of lifestyle you live. But cashback's a perk for sure. Zero liability protection is awesome. Um, so you can easily replace and stop any fraudulent charges. Uh, all major credit cards issues promise zero liability for fraudulent purchases. So I like credit cards. I do not like debit cards. I'm stunned when I see grown adults pull a debit card out of their wallet. The liability's heavy. Um, if someone you know gets that or swipes it or or steals the information, um, you could lose everything. Uh, credit cards sometimes. Some credit cards, such as Visa Signature and American Express cards, offer roadside assistance hotlines. So a few premium cards include the cost of that insurance um, and that insistence. Though in a lot of cases you'll pay out of pocket, but at least you'll know who to call for help, and usually you get like a good pre-negotiated rate. Also, like rental car insurance, if you've been road tripping in a rental car, using a credit card that comes with rental insurance can save you the cost of an additional policy. But not all rental insurance policies are equal, so try to read what it covers and doesn't cover. Um, like if you're on a dirt road in Hawaii, your credit card may not cover that. And you're like, woohoo, let's go to the dunes! Um, so that's an area where I'm saying like some of these perks can save you money. Now, I'm trying to talk stocks here, and you're saying, get back to stocks, Rob. I don't need, don't need, don't need the credit card information, but I think you do. Okay, now I can talk cheese, and believe it or not, the U.S. is awash in cheese. We've got plenty of cheese. But a lot of brokers are seeing a case for solidifying cheese prices. Prices for block cheddar cheese, I can't be making this up, have jumped about 12% recently, closing at about $1.71 a pound. Now... Year over year, that's up about 3%. How do, you, how do you buy cheese? How do you invest in cheese? It's kind of a commodity. And commodities are something that I don't think most people should invest in. And this is where I'm talking stocks. I, I think it's more difficult than you think. Sometimes it's a lot more costly than you think. Um, and that worries me a lot, that a lot of people try to like go, I think oil's going higher. Uh, you can buy a commodities fund if you want. And you're betting on inflation. You're betting on people making babies and babies eating more, and then babies growing up to teenagers, teenagers going to school and consuming a lot of clothes and food, and then going to college and getting a job. So you're kind of betting on economic activity. 
um, with commodities. Now, it doesn't always work like that. Like, coffee's kind of funny. You know, the coffee bean. Uh, a wet summer in Brazil can cause mold. And, like, so, suddenly, you know, that old phrase about, you know, uh, butterfly wings beat in China co- or Japan causes tsunami somewhere around the world or something like that. I don't know quite the phrase, but that's the problem with commodities is a lot of time you're betting on... Um, with commodities, a lot of times you're betting on things that are out of control. But there's optimistic outlook right now, even though there's tons of production and tons of stockpiles. Cheddar cheese stocks have surged 11%. Um, and you're going, cheddar cheese stocks? Well, one of them, you know, a stock of a producer such as a Dean Foods is a way to play the trendy dairy market. You know, cheddar can be stored for several years, so a lot of farmers have allocated more of their milk to making cheddar cheese. If you can buy a milk at a discount, you're going you know, go ahead and you know, make cheddar, and you can flood the market. Um, pig bellies, and you've seen the price of bacon soar in the last couple of years because people are like, I want a bacon potato. <laughs> and you're like, what's that? It's a potato wrapped in bacon. I want a bacon filet. What's that? Well, it's a filet wrapped in bacon. I want a bacon milkshake. I want bacon perf- perfume. There's bacon perfume out there. Um, I don't even want to think about what occasion marks a moment where you want to put bacon perfume on. But, you know, back to cheddar. A relatively low price for U.S. cheddar has attracted overseas buyers. U.S. cheese exports uh, hit an all-time high recently, surging 48% from previous years. Exports to Mexico set a, a recent high. So... Cheese prices could get a near-term boost right now if hot weather, which stresses dairy cows, uh, and it dents milk production during the summer, continues. It, it's the heat wave. So if you're trying to play the high cost, not the high cost, but if you're trying to play the globalization uh, problems that have led to global warming, and if you believe it or not, I'm going to let you figure that out, but we've had a hot summer. And hot summer is equal stressed cows. And I know you're, you're driving by and you're like, that cow... I wish I could be that cow. All he has to do is sit around all day and eat some grass. But then you look at the grass and it's all brown. And you look at, you know, the shade and isn't it great how, like, if you ever drive by a big field and there's like three trees and it's a field of cows and 40 cows are sitting under the three trees. (laughs) Like, they know where the shade is. Now, what's interesting about this is hot weather stresses dairy cows. And, like, this is where investing gets kind of fun. Now, I could talk about you know, who's going to get Giancarlo Stanton and who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I don't care about that stuff. I want to I learn more about heat-stressing cows, making less milk, making less cheddar. Wow. You know, cheese prices, you know, in hot weather. And it's something that you're probably not going to be thinking about. Now, the USDA is maintaining a cautious outlook on cheese prices, citing high stockpiles and some signs of softness in U.S. demand. Uh, a friend of mine, he's a little overweight, not heavily, but a little overweight. And I watched him eat one night, and pulls out some crackers and some cheddar cheese, and I'm like, dude, you can't do that after you know 6 p.m. And here it is, like 10 p.m., and he's about to get ready to go to bed, and he's just cutting the cheese and slicing it and piling it high. Um, so there is some softness in U.S. demand, as most Americans, now not him, but most Americans are starting to realize, like, cheese going to put some pounds on me. Cheese is going to clog my heart. Um, but at these prices, the average U.S. farmer is barely able to break even. So you may see, and if the heat wave continues, you may see 
a situation where supply starts to get drawn down. Now, you have to really almost work in the commodities industry to see cheddar cheese supplies. And that's why I think most people shouldn't be buying commodities, because you have to pay attention to the, the oil stock reports. Now, those are easy enough to follow on CNBC and Bloomberg, because they go out of their way. But when was the last time you heard a report about cheddar cheese supplies? Probably right now, and before that, it's been a long time, if you ever even noticed it, because it's not something they're going to cover on, on big media. So depressed prices lead a lot of farmers to shut down or pair production. It's interesting when there's something like uh, mad cow disease and farmers have to slaughter their, their cows, what happens to the price of meat? Initially, it drops because there's suddenly a lot of dead cows on the market, more than usual. But the following years, when these cows and these you know um, bulls were mating and having babies, well, they've all been slaughtered. Not all, but they've been slaughtered to the point that farmers have thinner you know, volumes. And that's when prices started going higher. So sometimes it's like mad cow is going to drive meat prices higher. Mad cow drives meat prices lower. Same thing with the bird flu. So um, just something to think about. And again, if it were a prolonged, disastrous scenario like that, I, I it would be bad. And we kind of all can agree on that. So 800-516-1220. You can always email me, rob at robblackshow.com. Chad Burton from New Focus Financial does a show on Tuesdays and Thursdays called New Focus on Wealth here on AM 1220 KDOW. Um, and you can get a podcast of that at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Some recent proposals by the Treasury Department are worth bringing up. Uh, and again, isn't it weird how you can become a better stock investor by learning more about politics? I was watching broadcast news the other day, and... Someone says, can you name all the cabinet members? And I dated a girl who once was like, I can name all the cabinet members. I'm like, she stole that from broadcast news. Um, but knowing who runs the Treasury Department might help your investment bank account. The regulatory burden on banks and support that they get uh, with greater lending, it can lead to some changes that benefit the nation's leading bank. So regulation and deregulation. We have a president right now who, in theory, is a deregulator. And that may be all his, his agenda gets done for a while. Uh, the health care agenda seems to be stalled. Uh, the tax agenda was supposed to come after the health care agenda because the health care agenda was going to create some tax cuts to help pay for the tax cuts. Um, I know, right? It's, it's kind of complicated. But I'll talk a little bit more about regulations and who some of the winners are going to be and how much in percentile their profits may be able to jump. Stick around. More show to follow. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
So let's talk a little deregulation, and I kind of want to flesh this out with you, because when you talk stocks, sometimes you talk sectors, in this case, the financial sector, but sometimes it's not just the company themselves. Like, I know Goldman Sachs is getting a lot of flack right now from Wall Street Research on some of the trading volumes, and that makes total sense. I like reading research reports. And just for the record, if you have an account with Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, uh, TD Ameritrade, they all have online access. And if you use online access and trust it, which I do, um, there's oftentimes a lot of free research that you can get that costs a lot of money. Uh, if you were to pay for it, delivered into like a research account, but since it's being delivered into your brokerage account, the brokerage is paying for you know bulk discount, and you get the perk of that. So read those research reports if you have a stock, and you know you may see like a. Typically, you're going to see like kind of the first sheet, which sums everything up, and that allows someone to talk to you and go, ah, I think you should consider buying shares of Goldman Sachs because right now the trading volumes are down. That's a bullet point. And long term, you know, it's a franchise that makes billions of dollars. That's a bullet point. So read the research and kind of like get familiar, but then read the details on page four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the research report that talks about some of the risks and the profile of the companies. So right now the Treasury Department is trying to ease regulatory burdens, whether it be on oil pipeline companies. Hey, if oil spills and kills the the hairy-bellied moth, that's okay. Now, in the past, the, the, the hairy-bellied moth was protected. Said hairy-bellied moth is fictitious. But regulations easing can help a, a pipeline company get it done, say, build a pipeline in a year versus five years where you have to do a study on the hairy-bellied moth. Now, nothing against hairy-bellied moths, but some people say, you know, as a nation, we have to push forward and have economic activity, Ruxus's paper that's going to trump, you know, environmental concerns. Or there's a kind of a, a scale of how far do we let it go, but regulations are an area that we can change on Capitol Hill to kind of grease business transactions. So the good news for investors right now is big banks, including Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, um, State Street, and Bank of New York could get a cumulative earnings boost of about 30% if a series of regulatory relief actions take place. And those are all pretty good names. In the past, I've liked State Street a lot. And Citigroup is a company I like a lot for their international brand. If you were thinking banks right now, you'd go Bank of America. But that Bank of America is very American-centric, which is okay in a world of calamity. Um, It's like small cap stocks in a world of calamity. If your small company doesn't have exposure to Europe and there's terrorism in Europe, you're like, ooh, but your Citigroup might get hit in Europe or your Hilton Hotels might get hit in Europe kind of thing. So there's different ways to play, but Citigroup is a big international play on banks. And like Bank of America is a small one on U.S. banks, as is State Street. So the potential regulatory actions may not occur toward, until 2018 um, due to a depleted group of bank regulators in Washington. President Donald Trump recently nominated Randall Corals who was an investment manager for a vacant spot on the Federal Reserve's seven-member board of governors. He would take a lead role in bank supervision. Um, it's going to take time for his nomination to clear Congress, and there are two other vacancies on the Fed board. Then there's the question of Trump himself. Will he renominate Janet Yellen of the federal as the federal chair? Her term ends in February. Quarles is viewed favorably by bankers, given his background. He publicly stated that he sees... Um, 
a dramatic increase in bank capital has led to higher interest rates, and his criticism of the Volcker Rule, which banned proprietary trading at banks, uh, would help these guys. So easing of capital rule on risk-free deposits is one bank change that would be regulation and would help the banks. Modification of the Volcker Rule, which restricts bank trading. Um, and again, should banks be trading? Back in the 1990s, Banks became brokers, and brokers became insurance companies, and insurance became banks, and insurance companies became brokers. Like, they all kind of started to consolidate. At one point in time, man, how times have changed. There used to be a Chinese wall between these guys. Now I'm just going to say, <laughs> there's going to be a great wall. Or, what? how do I not offend someone with a wall comment? Um, at one point in time, it, it was Clinton who dismantled those walls as far as, you know, letting banks and financial companies kind of get in bed with each other. Um, and a lot of people stressed, because when you had a bank like a Bear, uh, Bear Stearns or a Lehman Brothers, you know, fail, it took a lot with it, not just the core business. It took a lot of new businesses they had put together. So the bank stress test every two years might go away. Uh, it might become every two years or every three years or every four years versus every year. And if you allow banks to reduce excess capital in line with foreign banks, it would, again, potentially return a lot of money to the banks. So State Street, which has about 40% of its deposits tied up into the easing of capital burden on banks taking institutional deposits that are held in risk-free treasuries at, or at the Federal Reserve, uh, they would be a big winner, as would Bank of New York. Different banks would have different plays here as you know, their exposure to different regulations. Banks with a large trading operation, for instance, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, they spend heavily to meet compliance rules. And the Treasury pro proposes right now to simplify the definition of proprietary trading and allow greater flexibility in market making and hedging. The idea there is to, uh, to improve market liquidity, get more trades going, and that ultimately the volume kind of figures out winners and losers uh, more efficiently than someone sitting behind a desk who writes an article. Market making may become more important as the Federal Reserve starts to unwind its $4.5 trillion bond portfolio uh, throughout the year, this year, and into 2018 and beyond. So it's going to take some time, but there's going to be some regulatory hurdles that are removed. It's widely expected. Now, again, with the Trump administration, a lot of people are, you know, looking, you know, how much hair does this Russia investigation have on it, and does it lead to charges or others okay. issues anyway deregulation is going to help the big banks something to think about something to do a little research on you can find me at Rob Black Show Twitter Rob Black Show YouTube Rob Black Show three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.